0: All right, so you are here for the talk, Fucking Hope, the best and worst part of the Christian life. So I am Ben Madison. I am an Episcopal priest in South Jersey. That's an important distinction because it's different than North Jersey. It's better than North Jersey. Um, and, And I've been a priest for seven years. Uh, my, uh, my Ashley. My wife and I, who's in the back, we've been foster parents since 2018. So that's almost four years. it four years in October. Uh, I am the senior pastor, solo priest, the rector of like a medium-sized church in South Jersey. Uh, and I am a human being, which means that uh, I suffer. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sit there, because that's a reality, right? Like, we are people, and existence is uh, suffering. There's this great line in, um, what is it, The Good Place, where they're trying to teach uh, a demon who is running hell what it means to be human. And one of the characters says to him, being human means being a little sad all the time. (laughs) Right? So what we're going to do is we're going to be very sad for most of this uh, because <laughs> nothing is more self-gratifying, right, than than wallowing in our own hopelessness. Uh, I, Before I decided what I was going to talk about, I texted Aaron, who gave the talk last night. He was my former boss, and I told him what the title of this was going to be, and he said, you can't do that, and then I proceeded to 1,000% do it. So, so let, let me give you some background because You need to know my suffering credentials, okay? So I grew up not in an Episcopal household, in a very uh, conservative, legalistic, uh, Methodist household, but Methodists who got very wrapped up into culture war evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. So I learned to love Jesus, and I also learned that I'm probably going to hell, right? It's just the nature nature of the beast. Um, So... That's that got that got no laugh. So I hope you all know. I hope you all know you're not going to. Well, I can't. There's a potential you could go to hell. A small one, but it's there, right? Uh, but that's just that's just the world that I grew up in. Uh, my parents got separated. Uh, was it two months before our wedding? Yeah, two months before our wedding. They were living in separate homes uh, on the day of our wedding. That's fun. And then approximately six months after our wedding, they got divorced. So that was fun i am an adult child of divorce if you've seen girls you know what that's like right um, in seminary i was diagnosed with a chronic illness with Crohn's. Um, i was wondering i was i was very proud of myself i felt very righteous because i had lost so much weight and wasn't really doing much um, and then i got other symptoms that were horrifying but i was like i'm not going to tell anybody this because i'm sure it'll go away um, and then when I got to like 190, I was like, I should probably see a doctor. And they were like, surprise, you have a Crohn's disease, your body hates you, and it's eating you from the inside out. I said, okay, awesome, here we go. So that is an experience of suffering. Let's see, I was diagnosed as like totally 100% infertile in 2017. So if you were here in 2019 for my talk, there were three people in this room because nobody wants to talk about male infertility. So... The title of the talk was "Shooting Blanks," so I thought that would get at least right. And like, it's what uh, I—that's the life I live, right? Um, so that was fun. Uh, we started fostering because my wife and I have uh, overly extensive concerns about the ethics of. Not producing your own children, right? How are you going to do domestic infant adoption, international adoption, uh, surrogacy, foster whatever? And the least problematic was foster care, but actually, earmuffs, uh, foster care's a fucking shit show. So that is another <laughs> continuing uh, reality in our life. Uh, we've had, she came to us in November of, I just said her name, fuck. Uh, yeah, bleep it out. That's be bleep. thank you. Just bleep it all. Um, just don't post it. it. Lots of <laughs> uh, she came to us in November, so a month after we got licensed, uh, at six days old, and she's been with us for three and a half years. I don't know if you know anything about foster care, but that's not supposed to be how it works in the slightest, uh, and we are nowhere near resolved. So yet again, more experiences of suffering, and then probably the most relatable that I think we can all, you know, find some commonality in is, like, I don't know if you, so, there's this thing that happened in March of 2020. Um, and, like, and like as my intern at church is fond of saying, well, in South Jersey, it's done. And, like, that's absolutely true. Like, nobody cares at all anymore, except that in winter, there's definitely going to be, like, a fifth wave, and that's going to, are we all excited for that? So... I gave you that because I want you to know that even though I am a white, cisgendered, mid-30s white man, like I have some suffering credentials, right? A little bit. You know, we shouldn't engage in comparative suffering, but like, I bet I've suffered more than some of you. <laughs> 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 Just saying. Um, but seriously, I say this because at all times, right, we are experiencing some level of suffering. Um, I remember um, some Mockingbird folks who were serving in Texas with me when I first was ordained. And they were quoting one of their professors from Trinity, where they all went to seminary. And he told them to remember that everyone walks across broken glass to get to church on Sunday. Right, So that it doesn't matter what your station, your position, what your life looks like, that everyone suffers. And We just sort of have to name that, right? That's where we have to start this talk because if you believe that you have not experienced suffering, I have really bad news for you, right, it might not happen tomorrow, it might not happen uh, a month from now, but like you will experience suffering. And I think the longer you go without having suffering, (laughs) the worse it is because you've convinced yourself like, well I've been doing things right, right? Everything's going great, I'm gonna avoid this forever. You're not, we're all gonna die, okay? That's like, I feel like that's very important to name right? Death comes for all of us. I love Lent. Do you guys know that? Could you figure that out, right? <laughs> Memento mori, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. So suffering credentials, we're all going to suffer. I also want to express to you that I come by my wallowing in suffering credentials quite honestly, right? So in 2000, I started listening to Sunny Day Real Estate. <laughs> and some dashboard confessional, and just Brazil, right? So, like, I'm an OG emo kid before the emo revival. I'm still a little annoyed about this because the emo revival happened literally the year I left the Philly area, which is where it rehappened, and then moved to Northern Virginia, right? Those are my people. I remember I had this conversation with my bishop while I was getting uh, ordained or in the process of ordination, and he's just like, and you have to imagine this, he is... What, he's in his mid-70s, or early 70s. We're meeting privately in his office. He has to tell me that they're going to delay my process. It's a very emotional time. And he just, out of the blue goes, do you listen to emo? <laughs> 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 and, um, and this bishop is famous because he once raised a million dollars in a day in the Diocese of Chicago. Oh. Right, like, he's phenomenal. He's this very only man. He just looked at me and goes, do you listen to emo? And I tell him, yes, George, yes, bishop Council, I, I do listen to, to email. And he just shakes his head, and he has this very pastoral look on his face, and he just goes, those sad boys with their tight pants and their long hair. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, there is something about our world where in the way that we have found a way to cope with suffering, especially if you tend to be, you know, an elder millennial, as they're calling him and now, Right, is that we have found a comfortable way to wallow in it. And like, my emo phase only gave way to like an indie rock, indie folk phase. Right, like throw on Bon Ivor or or Bright Eyes and like, yeah, I'm gonna weep quietly by myself because (laughs) that's what my life is like. Uh, In a sermon a few weeks ago, actually I think it was, it was, not a, it was Good Friday. Okay, so it was the Good Friday service at church, right? People come to that. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad day. Um, it's not a good day. You know that Jesus dies that day, right? I'm just making sure, like, we're all on that same page, right? Okay, it's the day where we watch the brutal execution of our Lord and Savior. And I try to describe to them that feeling you get, right, um, when you're leaving an event, Right, you're leaving a birthday party or every January I used to go down to South Carolina and visit my best friend in college, uh, like the way he was at college. And I always took the train because I'm cheap and I was in college and I was not flying or driving. But like the train to Columbia, South Carolina only comes in at 1.30 a.m. So you get on, we usually came right from the bar, and then I just sit there by myself, right? And what do you do? You throw on sad boy music and you exist in this reality that like life is linear and that you were somewhere with people you loved and now you're not, right? And that time is fleeting and death is inevitable and like, right, let's just be sad and look out the window, right? Like it's perfect, you like, that's, that's what I, uh, it's what I do, it's what I like to do. Um, if you could turn wallowing in hopelessness into an Olympic sport, I got you beat, right? Like, have you you wallowed sufficiently if you haven't cried in the shower wondering if the reason you can't have kids is because you have premarital sex and God's punishing you, right? You know what I mean? That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. Okay? This is a healing. This is a healing process, right? So this got me thinking about this distinction, right? So we live in a world of suffering, and yet we also operate... In such a way as to avoid it at all costs right one of the gifts of being a priest is that we get to see people suffer when everyone else doesn't right like we go to their house and they're dying and like it's a really weird scenario to be in because people at church are like well how are they doing and you're like well do i tell them the truth or like do i write or do we find some way to continue avoiding this and there's this impetus, especially in sort of a Western Christian American culture that says, if you suffer, right, then you've, you've probably done something wrong and you probably deserve it. In fact, it's almost identical to what the first century Palestine believed, right? If you are suffering, if there's something wrong with you, God is most obviously punishing you. And yet, right, and yet, we've been here for a a day now, And we hear all these conversations about hope, right? Now, I am no, I am no ex-evangelical deconstructionist, although I did help popularize that trend on TikTok. That's not a joke, that's 100% true, okay? If you're on TikTok and you're seeing the ex-evangelical deconstructionist, yeah, I started that, me and six weird people, okay? Like that's the, um, I'm not proud of it anymore. I I wasn't really proud of it in the beginning, but like it's happening, right? And I think the reason that it's happening is because even the best things in the Christian life, right, even hope, can be turned into something that is not great, right? What happens when hope, to use the parlance of Mockingbird, becomes law? As Christians, right, as Paul says, we are not ones without hope. So we get into this position as Christians where things are really hard, We are experiencing significant suffering. Uh, Just shit is really bad. And then there's this little voice in the back of your head that says, Yeah, but what about hope? Faith, hope, and love will abide. Right? Thanks, Paul. We've all heard that at every single wedding ever. Right? So then you are wrestling with this reality of a finite time on earth, an end that is fixed. You know, the promise that we all return to dust. And, like, we want it to mean something. We want to, maybe we want to wallow, right? I'm assuming that you all came here because maybe you have a tendency to, to want to wallow like I do, right? It's a really good feeling. And, and I'll be completely honest, I'm not really sure. I have an idea why we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, like, I feel like it's very Jobin, right? Very Job. Um, because bad things happen, and it feels good to think that God has abandoned you. Because if God's abandoned you, then like all of this makes sense. If God's abandoned you, then all the suffering that we experience is like, okay, I got it, right? We're on the same page. It's actually harder to experience suffering with the knowledge that like God will never abandon you or forsake you. So this is where I came up with my dichotomy. Um, <laughs> and it is uh, it's heavily... Uh, It's heavily propositioned on intonation. So I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll go on a tangent that helped me procrastinate this by talking to my friend who's a linguist. Okay? So the dichotomy is fucking hope and fucking hope. I'll say it again. Fucking hope and fucking hope. There's this thing in most languages, this is, this is the fun tangent that I told my friend I was going to go on when I was not writing this. Um, <laughs> she's a linguist, and I was like, is there a word for this? She's like, you're just talking about intonation. And I was like, ooh, that's fun to say. And she was like, you know what intonation is, right? I was like, I do. I'm not entirely dumb. I'm a little dumb, but I'm not like super dumb, right? But there's something, and what I love about it is that linguists don't really know why intonation changes language. It's intuitive. Right? There's something about the way that we talk and the way that the language goes that is intuitive to the listener and that is culturally and linguistically bound. So she gave me this great example. She says, in English, we ask, right, where do you live? Where do you live? Right? And it goes down. If we want to clarify, we emphasize the first word, intonation, where do you live? Right? You're not giving us a clear answer. Apparently, in Russian, it's exactly the opposite. So that if you're learned, so that if you're an English, a native English speaker in speaking Russian, there can be miscommunication simply because of the intonation. Um, that is not going to come up again at all on this. I just thought it was really interesting, but also I think we, right, when you exist in this world between fucking hope and fucking hope. There's like this liminal space, right? I hate that. It's such a seminary word, right? There's like this, this like loose, like whenever I think liminal space, I think evanescence, right? Just like, I don't have a good reason for that connection in my mind, but that's what I think, right? Wake me up inside. I know. You, you love it, right? But we live in this, in this liminal space because the best thing and the worst thing in Christianity, sort of exactly what Dell was talking about, right? It's same, two sides of the same coin. They said that, right? Uh-huh. That was just the one we just heard. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a lot of talking today. Right? And the best thing can become the worst thing and then frustratingly can go back to being the best thing. So, uh, here is my example of fucking hope. So, um, I also will take a brief side note to say, I don't know if you've read Brene Brown. Right? She's a big, everybody loves Brene Brown. Um, she has this thing about, Marble jars. Are you familiar with this? Marble jar friends. Uh, the people that you grow and have relationships with. Uh, you know, when you get close to them, they put a marble in your jar, and that is like what dictates what you're willing to to share with them. Right. The more marble time mar- in the jar, the more you trust them, the more vulnerable you can be with them. Um, I am an extrovert. Was recently diagnosed with the ADHD, and I'm just going to do <laughs> what Brene Brown says you shouldn't do, and I'm just going to dump all my marbles into your jar right now. Right. So. I expect you to at least do a little bit of the same. Give me two marbles at the end, okay? Uh, Because here's the reality of what suffering in my life has looked like in the last three months, right? So another tangent because why not. This is the first Mockingbird Conference in two years, right? And it's like a big homecoming. You see everybody you know, and then you have to stop and catch up, and everybody asks, how have you been? How how have you been? It's been two years of a global pandemic. Like, how, how the fuck do you think I've been? That's all I'm asking, right? Like, how have you been? Well, I run a church on my own, so that hasn't been great. Uh, we got hit by a tornado in September in New Jersey. In New Jersey, thanks global warming, right? There's another thing we have to worry about, the inevitable heat death of America, because everything's on fire, right? Also, it causes... Tornadoes in New Jersey now. Uh, then we got a fourth wave of COVID. That's great. Love that. They still don't have a vaccine for kids. Wonderful. Great. South Jersey decided well before it was over that the pandemic was over. So then you have to handle all those emails from people. Uh, then in January, we had a pipe burst at the church. Okay. I can deal with that. Except my admin was out with a COVID uh, uh, like uh, exposure. I was off on Monday. So then water ran in the church for a day and a half, uh, which is great. Let me tell you, it's wonderful. And that happened two days before we went back to court for foster care, which we've been in for three and a half years with the hopes that they were gonna change what the plan was, because they told us they were gonna change what the plan was. But then we found out that half the team was new, so they did not change the plan and they completely effed everything up. So entering into January of 2022, right? Pandemic's still going on. Church is a mess. My life is a mess. Um, I just couldn't. I just couldn't take it, Right? Like, I wanted, and I felt, like God had abandoned me. But the most frustrating part about being a Christian is that I also knew that God did not abandon me. So then I have to reconcile those two things together. Yeah. Right? And this is where that small voice comes back in your head. This is where fucking hope fucking hope becomes law because the voicing in your head says well you know God is in this God works good for all those who serve the Lord um, you know everyone who cries out to the name of the Lord shall be saved Right? Uh, do not neglect meeting with one another. Thanks, Hebrews, right? Like, am I just supposed to, like, send the letter of the Hebrews to the whole congregation I haven't seen in two years because they're all online? Like, it's not helpful, right? Hope in this context becomes yet another demand. You're suffering? Have hope. Have hope. And the irony, I think, is that when hope becomes law it actually betrays exactly what you think it's supposed to do. Because when hope becomes law, it becomes less about um, that God will provide and more about how are you going to have hope, right? And I think, so, if there, is, uh, if there is a danger in being part of the mockingbird community, this is it, right? Because we have a low anthropology, right? Was I surprised by the tornado? Sure, but like, yeah, of course it's going to happen. We live in a fallen, broken world. Is there a fourth wave of COVID? Of course there is. (laughs) None of these people are wearing masks. We're screwed, right? Like anthropology is low. A pipe burst, the devil's a liar, right? The court system's broken. Everything's down, right? There is a low anthropology. So we know and we trust that God is going to provide, right? We know that the only thing that gets us through is the unmerited grace of Christ. But you know what is really unhelpful when your life is completely falling apart? Remembering that the only person who can get you out of this is God. And then you're like, but why am I here then? Right? Why am I here? Why is there a little voice in the back of my head that says, have fucking hope? Maybe I should just, I'm just going to end there. <laughs> there you go. Good luck, everybody. Have your, you know, call me when the pandemic's over. Um, <laughs> right? So... That's not where the story ends, clearly, right? I think one of the things I love, um, so like, I, I text Sarah a lot, mainly because I know that she's not gonna abide any sort of suffering competition that we could have. Um, and um, she says this thing all the time about how every day, some, I think she said in her talk, right? Every day something bad doesn't happen is like a good day. And like that has really, It's really struck me since January. Uh, What I've read to mention is at the end of January, we all got COVID anyway. So, right, it's just, you just, it's one hit after another. None of the dogs died, which is good. The end of November of 2020, uh, one of our foster kids went home and then we had the saddest Thanksgiving ever where none of us could get together and then our dog died and that was all one week. So like, at least it wasn't that, I guess. Um, The difficulty about Trusting God um, is that trusting in God does not offer any easy comfort, right? They teach you this in seminary that like and like if you've ever had a priest or pastor tell you this, I'm really sorry. Because they shouldn't, right? Like in the midst of suffering, the thing that doesn't actually help is to say, "Oh well, you know, God will see you through," right? Is that theologically accurate? One thousand percent right? Is it helpful? Not in the slightest. Because we don't know how God is going to get us through. And we can't guarantee that God's going to make it happen anytime soon. Um, And there's nothing that we can necessarily do to get ourselves out of these situations, right? Like I guess I, like if I had a time machine, I would absolutely go back in time and tell the people who built my church to put the pipes below the temperature line, so that you didn't have a flood, and oh, by the way, while you're redoing the old building, you have asbestos, and that's gonna be a huge $23,000 problem in 2020, so like, maybe take care of that, too, while you're redoing this, right? But we can't do that. We are left in a world where suffering is a reality. There's really no escape from that suffering. There is comfort and consolation in the suffering, but also, you can't guarantee you're gonna exactly feel that either. Right, and you get a little voice in the back of your head that says, "Have fucking hope. Have fucking hope." Man, what a downer. I thought this was a lot <laughs> <I aren't> better. <laughs> well, I, here's the thing. We're turning right. We're turning the corner because if there is, um, right, and I, and I hope, I hope that the chuckles imply an uncomfortable uh, commiseration with the fact that like we do suffer and we do have this feeling. It's really nice to not feel alone in this. Um, that there is an answer to fucking hope. And it looks remarkably like the little voice, right? It's the intonation that changes it. It's not fucking hope, it's fucking hope. There's this thing that keeps happening and you can talk to my wife because it drives me absolutely crazy. And I text Mike about it now too. He's the intern at our church and our mutual friends. But right at the lowest point where I'm like, yes, I'm wallowing in self-pity, I'm listening to only Phoebe Bridgers, i right? like, it's just like, this is, this is the world that I'm going to inhabit, and I have every right to be here. It's my self-righteous, this is what I've earned, right? This is my self-righteous act of wallowing because everything is unfair, the world is broken, and I wish Jesus would just come back. God does the most infuriating thing. God is the thing that makes me more angry than just about everything else, right? God's like, oh, here I am. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, there was a tornado. There was a flood. Like, they're trying to take my kid away. It's the second year of the pandemic. We all got COVID. Like, Crohn's is acting up. What the heck? And then you go to a meeting at church with your vestry, and they're like, yeah, we know this is really hard. Maybe you should take some extra time off. Yeah, we know this is really hard. We're going to pretty much do whatever you need us to do, right? You have a vestry retreat and everyone's like, we're really excited about the way that God is moving here and we see that that is a large responsibility how you have taught us and shepherded us for the last two years. (laughs) Right? That is fucking hope. And it's infuriating. Because in the same way that on the flip side, wallowing in self-pity is an act of law, right, and we commit to that self-righteousness by listening to Phoebe Bridgers and, um, you know, engaging in habits that maybe we should engage in more frequently and doing all these things, right, that that motivate and remind us that we are wallowing and, like, God hasn't abandoned us, but it sure does feel like it, so we're going to act like it, that God's answer is always to, like, burst in like the Kool-Aid man and be like, <laughs> surprise, shorty, right? Like, that is, that is what... That's what God does, right And it is absolutely incredible, and the most frustrating it, 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 it angers me like nothing else, right and like this is this is the absolute best part of having a, a hermeneutic that says that all of the work is finished and that God does it all. Is that like, oh God actually does this like if you believe that that's oh like. I was telling, telling Mike the other day, I feel like half my sermons at church are just like, God will change your life, and if you don't believe it, then you're wrong. Like, just leave. <laughs> right? like, like, I, I want to tell you that that, like, this is the reality. And like, I wouldn't stand up here in front of all of you, in front of anybody, and tell you these stories because I want you to feel bad. Well, let me rephrase that. I 1,000% want you to feel bad for me. Please stroke my ego afterwards and tell me, man, you really have suffered in the last year. I'm like, yeah, I have, haven't I? I'm such a good sufferer. Suffered for the Lord. For foster care. Like, I'm the best. Uh, Right? so, right? (laughs) Please feel bad for me. Um, But I stand up here because... I don't want to believe this, and I do, right? And it sounds absolutely crazy, Um, and I, right, maybe it's, uh, Jason Michelli said, maybe it's because I'm an eight, and I have, like, serious control issues, Um, but, like, I wish, (laughs) to a large extent, that God didn't act like God does, and there you go, surprise, and there is a, it's incredible, it's absolutely incredible. So to that end, um, I wonder if I should stop for questions. I'm not going to, but I am gonna <laughs> contemplate it out loud. Um the time is it? Oh, we got like a half out. This is perfect. We can really hear some suffering stories from people. Um, so yeah, I think the thing about this dichotomy, right? The thing about, wallowing in hopelessness even in the midst of hope, right? When hope becomes law to the place where hope is grace, right? Where it is something that arrives without our assistance even though we don't want it. Um, is that it's, right, like, because it's two sides of the same coin, there are these, like, dichotomies to it. So fucking hope has these, like, self-righteous... Uh, like it, essentially what it does is it turns the promise of God's hope into expectation right? I thought Aaron said it great on Monday when he said right, that like hope implies that things aren't the way you want them to be right? so if you are in a situation where things are not the way you want them to be, then it's normal for people to turn them into an expectation well I expect that this happens right? you don't have to do that but most of us do right? the world is not the way I want it this is what I'm hoping for, this is what I'm getting my a million followers on Facebook and every church I know and every blessed grandmother in the entire world to pray for, right? And that becomes an expectation. And expectations very quickly turn into premeditated resentments, right? The, the same thing that turns hope into law takes this beautiful thing and turns it into, right, a source of anxiety, right? No longer is it about, it. It, it, it changes and shifts our trust in God's grace and action into a frustration about why isn't God acting? What did I do to participate in that lack of action? And then an added level of anxiety about what I'm doing now because I recognize that I shouldn't feel this way and yet I do feel this way. <laughs> right? This never-ending cycle of I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. I, I don't really know how to talk about this except, to, except for two stories from scripture um, that show us exactly this thing, right? So the first is when Abraham and Sarah are visited by the three guests, right? I hope you're familiar with the story. They live in a tent. Three strangers show up. Uh, Abraham does what he's supposed to do and invites them in and then sends Sarah to go do all the work while he entertains the strangers, right? And as they're conversating, right, as they're having their conversation and sharing their meal, uh, they tell them that they're going to have Isaac, right? Oh, yeah, well, that's what got them saying for quite a long time, right? My favorite part of this entire story, and the part that I think captures this perfectly, right, is when Sarah hears this, she... Laughs, right? She just lets out this scoff. That's how I imagine it in my head, right? Like she's cleaning up in the—it's not a kitchen, right? So like the yurt, whatever. Maybe it's a fancy—it's like Fire Island yurt. I don't know. Was it the Fire Festival, right? Like there you go. Like they're in there. She's cleaning up in the yurt. Abraham is, you know, reclining at table. She's like grumbling about how lazy is and like how they just how she just spent, um, you know, all this time cooking. And the stranger's like, you know, you're gonna have a baby. And Abraham's like, yeah, I heard God, God said that before. And she's listening from the kitchen. He just goes, ha! Right? Like, we came all this way, and that's what God said was going to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. Right? Abraham gets, you know, uh, you know, his, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, lucky him. Right? Like, we haven't gotten what we were supposed to be getting. And now three dudes show up and say, you're going to have it? She's like, we're super old. He can't get it up. Right? There's no see Like, Like, this is not happening. Right? And she laughs because that is the only response To this glimmer of hope that they're given. And yet, there's Isaac, right? So, what must it have been like in the nine months after they get this, where she scoffs and then, right, and then forever captures that in his name to just say, you know, like, God has said this thing and we're trusting God to do it, but God hasn't done it, so, like, maybe we're not trusting God to do it, but, like, yeah, it doesn't, you know, one way or another. And then she scoffs, right? Like, I love that. Like, Sarah, we're bros, right? Because that is the, like, that's the response. And yet, um, God does it, right? Look at God. One of the verses that I've been using in my congregation for the last year, um, really the last several years, really it's the only verse that I cling to at this point comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the same one that I find so frustrating, right? And the writer says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. I love the fact that I can yell, frustratingly, he who has promised is faithful. And immediately after that happens, God shows up, and then I am humbled and reminded, he who was promised is faithful. So, in a world of suffering, in your own wallowing in that suffering, in the own in our own way that we turn hope into law, I hope that you will be equally as surprised. And I give you permission to be equally as frustrated when, in our hope that God has abandoned us, God's like, <laughs> nope. I'm in. So, yeah, oh, thank you.